0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more.
0: Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 1st. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, families in the Jackson Public School District are asking what would happen if... The area's schools, some of them closed. Then, a new biography tells the story of Margaret Walker, visionary author and teacher, born in Birmingham, Alabama, raised in New Orleans, who settled in Jackson, Mississippi. Plus, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author is visiting the two Mississippi museums today for this week's History is Lunch. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Jackson Public School District has proposed a plan to shutter the doors of school buildings in an effort to consolidate students and reduce costs. The plan introduced last month would close 16 schools. It includes 13 elementary two middle and one high school. There are nearly 10,000 less students in the district now than there were nine years ago. Superintendent Eric Green met with parents in Jackson yesterday to discuss what these changes could mean for families. He says the district utilizes Title I funds from the federal government, which helps districts with a large population of low-income families.
1: We're funded
0: based on the number of scholars that we have across the district and in each individual school. So it wouldn't in and of itself generate more funding, but it would, would, would allow us to spend the funding that we get more effectively. Right now, the funding gets dispersed across you know, 16 more schools just based on the plan that we proposed, across 16 more schools than we believe we need to. And so to be able to bring the funds from those schools, those scholars attending those schools into the remaining schools, we've got more dollars to do the work that has to be done, maintaining facilities, paying for staffing, stable staffing, uh, paying for some of the equipment and and, uh, technology uh, infrastructure, on and on, all those things that we want and expect in all of our schools. Cheryl Smith is a retired school teacher and has grandchildren attending classes in the district. She says the event did answer some questions, but many of the bigger questions brought forward by parents were glossed over.
2: I'm disappointed in the answers because the answers are pre-planned, and they're not answering the questions that a lot of questions were sent in. Now, they uh, took umbrage with the long line at Wingfield. For the students to be able to speak so they could squish it down into these pat answers that he already had prepared, that's how you're going to not hear from the people where this is going to directly affect their children, their grandchildren. You need to hear from us, and if we got to stay here tonight, everybody get a cot. We can keep going.
0: These proposed changes could take place as early as fall of next year. Coming up, a new biography tells the story of Margaret Walker, who helped promote black culture through
3: poetry at Jackson State. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Tonight, hundreds will descend upon Jackson for the Phyllis Wheatley Poetry Festival, which honors black authors and poets and their impact on the arts. The festival was founded 50 years ago by novelist and professor Margaret Walker. The Gulf States newsroom's Maya Miller sat down with Walker's biographer, Mary Emma Graham, to talk more about her life and legacy.
4: For listeners who may not know who Margaret Walker is, could you tell us a little bit about her?
2: So Margaret Walker is a 20th century figure. Not only was she a poet, novelist, writer, uh, intellectual, she was an academic. She was a teacher. Uh, and most of that career was at Jackson State University, where she went in right in the middle of the century, 1949, and never went place else. So she moves from the radio, to the television, to film, to video, and she had all of access to all of those networks, Uh, but she did it from Jackson, Mississippi. I think her view was that the state had had such a horrible history. We have tremendous potential in this place to change that image. So she started bringing people to Mississippi. And one of the things she did that was so powerful was the Phyllis Wheatley Festival in 1973. And so she brought attention to the power of Black literature and to the power of Black women's participation, in this case, inauguration of a
4: tradition. Margaret Walker faced immense success with Jubilee. That was her historical novel about a young enslaved woman in Georgia during the Civil War but she also faced hardships as a Black academic and a creative. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Walker's work was recognized. She was
2: honored. Everybody knew that Jubilee was an important work, but she also recognized that that work had been plagiarized in Alex Haley's roots. By the time that truth was uncovered and Haley's work was proven to be built on other people's works as well. Haley was dead, but Walker's career had already suffered. She was jealous, people said, and nobody came to her rescue. So she went from fame to infamy overnight, in a sense. And she never really recovered in terms of her literary career. She remained, of course, a powerful voice, but she suffered miserably as a result of that.
4: Tell us more about publishing the biography of Margaret Walker, because, you know, it was a process that took nearly 20 years. For me,
2: the question was, there's a lot of story here. First of all, Walker left over 150 journals. She was, she she journaled, she recorded her own life. So she left me a treasure trove. And I had to read every single page to know her as best I could. And that was the obligation I had as a biographer. Putting it all together and then having life happen to me as well, took the two decades, but I learned a lot. And I what I have also learned is that we have too far few women's biographies, particularly black women. So I hope that it encourages people to tell more of those stories. We have very, very few still.
4: And so in what ways did you change as a scholar and a creative in the time that you began this project to holding the published book in your hands?
2: Biography is a hard genre to master, is the first thing. You're responsible for somebody else's life. It's easy to get confused with thinking about that being your own life. So you are a caretaker. You uh, uh, are holding on to threads of information that nobody knows but you. Critical decisions that you have to make. Do I leave it in? Do I leave it out? What image do I want to leave of this person? She didn't worry about what would happen to her. She accepted it. It was painful. She did not get the support she needed. And that is on us. So I had to tell that story in order for us to realize that if you are saying that you believe in this, you believe in Black womanhood, you believe in it, then you need to show it. We didn't show it. Too many people didn't show it.
0: That was Mary Emma Graham talking with Gulf States Newsroom's community engagement reporter, Maya Miller. The Phyllis Wheatley Festival kicks off tonight at Jackson's Convention Complex. If you'll be there, look out for Maya. You can also email her at maya at gulfstatesnewsroom.org. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Next, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author is visiting the two Mississippi museums today for this week's History is Lunch. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Please think about why you chose MPB as your station for news and thoughtful discussion this morning and then support everything you love about MPB by contributing what you think is fair. Do that by calling 888-372-4483 or give in just three minutes online at mpbonline.org. Here in the studio with me are Teresa Collier and Liz Gill. They have more information about how you can become a member.
5: Good morning, Desiree. It's exciting to be here with you in the studio this morning. This is MPB Think Radio. I'm Teresa Collier, and I'm here today to ask you to please do your part as the fall on-air fundraiser, enters the final lap, and it's only Wednesday. Now is the time to support Mississippi Edition and thought-provoking midday programs here on MPB. There's a lot at stake right now for you and your neighbors, and we're hoping you can make a donation right now. I'm joined today in the studio by Liz Gill to tell you more.
3: Thanks, Teresa. Yeah, it's hump day. (laughs) We've reached the critical point of our fall fundraising campaign. We're sliding down into the final stretch. But there are still some people who love MPB Think Radio and MPB TV who haven't given yet. You know it's something you want to do because when somebody, a friend, asks you for help, you do what you know is right. You volunteer. You give money. You lend a helping hand. These are values we all share. And so now think about your community and how important it is to have MPB Think Radio covering the news you care about. We're here for you And I hope you'll be here for MPB. We are ready to take your donations at mpbonline.org or call us at 888-372-4483.
5: Granted, there are times when you tune to MPB news and conversation programs and you hear people you disagree with. One thing you'll notice is that public radio has a different tone. Our goal is to present points of view and dig into substantive issues with a tone that's vastly different from other media. Public radio is a place where people with different viewpoints can talk to one another instead of yell at one another. MPB Think Radio is in a campaign to keep civility in public discourse. Now is the time for you to take action to make that a reality.
3: You contribute to MPB because you want to support the journalism, you want to support the local expert call in shows, you want to support children's education on television, but we also want to thank you, Kim. <laughs> If you donate $120 to support MPB Think Radio, we'll send you the thank you bundle that will cover you head to toe. Our newly designed MPB socks and for the first time, the MPB matching beanie and scarf set, all with the new logo. So give to support journalism and and all of the wonderful things MPB gives to you, but then you also get some socks. (laughs) So call or text the word GIVE to 888. 83724483 or go to mpbonline.org to contribute.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A Pulitzer Prize-winning author is in Jackson today, speaking at this week's History is Lunch. It's a series hosted by the two Mississippi museums, the Mississippi Department of Archives and History, where historians and firsthand witnesses share their expertise about events that shaped Mississippi and American history. Beverly Gage is a history professor at Yale University in Connecticut, She has won a Pulitzer Prize this year for her book called G-Man, J. Edgar Hoover and the Making of the American Century. She says Hoover's influence over the Federal Bureau of Investigations changed how the United States responded to major changes in the 20th century.
1: He was the head of the FBI for 48 years from 1924 to 1972, and he exercised enormous power. And then I thought that we had a little bit of a one-dimensional view of Hoover. Um, He's certainly a villain, and he's a villain uh, in many ways in my story. But I thought if we wanted to understand that power and influence, we had to really tell a more complicated story. You're going to
0: be bringing his story to Jackson, Mississippi, for History is Lunch, sponsored by the Mississippi Department of Archives and History, I suspect there's going to be a lot of interest and a lot of questions because, as you said, he was extremely powerful, and he lived this larger-than-life kind of persona?
1: That's right. For most of the period that he was head of the FBI, he was a household name. He was one of the most famous people in the United States. My book points out that though we don't like to think about this piece of it, he was also one of the most popular figures in the United States. And I think there's sort of a tendency to to shove Hoover off to the side and say he was a rogue actor or he was a, a kind of independent agent. But um, in fact, I think that a lot of people, you know, admired him and believed in what he stood for, for better or worse.
0: Did he give public speeches or anything like that? Did he travel around the country and
1: speak to groups? Did. He had an enormous public relations apparatus at the FBI that was really designed to turn not only him, but all FBI agents into these kind of icons of American law enforcement and federal power. And he was pretty successful at it. He traveled, but he also had ghostwriters who wrote articles under his name. He had fleets of FBI agents who were trained as speakers to go out and speak in his stead. The FBI worked with Hollywood. They worked with newspapers. They worked with radio. um, And they were everywhere.
0: He stayed in the job until he died. What was his motivation? Was it power?
1: It was. Power, I think, in part, and it was also I think some you know a sense that he didn't have anything else in his life. He had really dedicated his whole life to this institution. I think by the time he was an old man, he kind of believed that it couldn't operate without him, which certainly proved <laughs> not to be true um but he really liked being at the center of things and he wanted to stay there as long as possible.
0: Of course, we know about the taping of Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement. Was he a racist?
1: He was racist, and he was kind of steeped in racism from very early on in his life. He grew up in Washington, D.C., at a time when dc was going through a very rigid process of racial segregation he went to segregated schools uh, he went to george washington university joined a fraternity called kappa alpha which was itself steeped in kind of old south uh, racial mythology and he carried a lot of that you know into the 60s into these struggles with uh, with king and with Nick and with the Black Panthers and with the civil rights movement as a whole. And that forms a big part of the book.
0: And there are also books that have been written about how the FBI infiltrated the Black Panthers, infiltrated uh, civil rights groups in order to hear and uh, blunt what they were doing in some instances.
1: They ran very elaborate, um, both infiltration and then disruption campaigns. So they were not only spying on civil rights organizations, uh, but certainly by the 1960s, actively seeking to disrupt them. So telling informants to go in and spread rumors or planting false newspaper stories um, in King's case, recording his sex life in hotel rooms throughout the country and then sending him anonymous threatening letters and the tapes. Uh, So it was surveillance, but it was also uh, active disruption and infiltration.
0: Beverly Gage, the author of the Pulitzer Prize book, a biography about J. Edgar Hoover. It's called G-Man, J. Edgar Hoover, and the Making of the American Century. You will be speaking at History is Lunch today at the two Mississippi museums. We thank you for taking the time to talk with us about this book, and I'm sure it's going to generate a lot of questions and interest at the event.
1: I hope so. Thanks for
0: talking. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.